Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line with his sweet new Yeti microphone is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, say something sweet for the folks at home. Hello, folks. You're listening to episode 89 of Lords of Limited. Listen to those smooth tones. I feel like we should be hashtag sponsored by Yeti if uh, if we're dropping those sweet, sweet brand names. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're listening out there, we're uh, we're open for business. Um, ben, I have this sweet new rig, too. It's not only just the microphone. I got this cool clamp. I feel like I'm like recording some show for NPR or something. I feel very legit right now. I know. I was so jealous. I saw your stream set up and like it looks so good with the microphone and the picture. You look like a radio DJ. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Fresh off of Allstate Band Weekend. I was up there chaperoning. Uh, my students performed a concert today up at Purdue. I drove back with a minibus full of kids and sitting down to record some Lords of Limited with you after being sick all week. So hopefully I don't sound like I'm hunting wabbits too much. <laughs> yeah, both of us, I think, are getting over colds. I was bummed to debut my new mic with... Uh, with a little stuffed up nose, but whatever. We will press on. The podcast waits for no one. Uh, did you get to play any magic this week? That's the real question. I did not play much, mostly because I felt miserable. What I did do a lot of this weekend was play a lot of Omniscience drafts on Arena. Can we talk? I didn't play any of those when they were around with M19. Did you? Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. What was it as degenerate or is this like more fun or something? This is just so so sweet it's very similar i mean the card draw spells are better than everything else and there were a lot of turn one kills it seems like there's more different ways to get turn one kills in dominaria and like a little more rares mythic rare type stuff that can let you do sweeter things like m19 was a little more formulaic like where everybody was doing it the same way and i think there's a little more room for creativity in dom yeah so for folks who don't know or weren't on arena this weekend they had a like fun little three-day event called omniscience drafts where you sort of like play the game like you have the card omniscience in play which means that cards that you're casting from your hand you can cast for free um so you draft you know 40 cards and then you don't add any lands because you don't need them to cast your spells and then you also have the opportunity to add wooberg like white blue black red green mana to your mana pool once each turn so that helps to you know use activated abilities or activate kicker in the case of dominaria which is the set that it was drafted on this time around and it was hella fun i was sort of resistant i was like oh this looks so like you know janky it's not ranked i'm trying to like rank up to mythic because i think that'll be sweet and 
I just, I got sucked in hard. It was really <laughs> addictive. Yeah, the first like five to 10 are really good. And then like after that, it gets sort of similar, but still when you get a busted deck, it's really, really fun to do. Other thing is you only start with three cards in your hand. So pretty much anything that says draw two cards or draw three cards on it are the best cards you can have. And mm-hmm. then you're just trying to essentially storm off in one turn and either combo kill your opponent or build a board out big enough that they have no chance against your army. Yeah, that was what it felt like to me. It was felt like drafting storm and cube. Like that like feeling of like I'm doing it, I'm going off in one turn is like there's not really much else like that in magic, I think. Yeah, very fun. Uh, I did not keep track of my win rate for that. You uh, do anything else that uh, warrants the trophy leaderboard? Uh, I maybe did one Rivals of Ixalan draft, but I did not log it because I'm a terrible human being. <laughs> the worst. I did a few more RNA drafts on Magic Online this week, so I'm up to 93 total, 177 and 94. Got a couple more trophies up to 22. Uh, still rocking that 65% win rate. Ravnica Allegiance, still good in, in March of 2019, I have to say. Yeah, the format's got staying power. I would not be un- happy drafting it for another couple months i don't think yeah i'm be looking forward to it coming back to ranked ricks this time around did not has not been treating me the most well i would say yeah it's a tough format there's a lot it just depends on what you run into there's a lot of bomb heavy cards you know when you play against tetsamok the second time in a row or the yeah. third time in four games it just starts to feel kind of bad yeah for sure i mean i just think best of one in general is volatile which like i'm okay with like i, I recognize that it's just a different game especially in limited um but yeah something about about ricks with like the power level of just rares not even mythics feels like you can you can get up against it you can you can get some pretty wild swings every now and again hear that all right so this week we're doing our patented lords of limited what's the play episode for ravnica allegiance so we're going to go through some in-game decisions and talk through them and hopefully come to the same conclusions but i think sometimes we maybe will divert we'll uh, we'll have to see but before we get into any of that gotta talk about that sweet sweet patreon ben patreon.com slash lords of limited where you can get back to the show if you so choose you know we are very very proud to be sponsored by starcitygames.com but we're also very very proud to be sponsored by you folks out there. We really could not be bringing you the quality of show each and every week that we do without the support of many, many people out there. And we want to show our love for that support by giving you access to a bunch of things. And of course, everyone who donates to the show gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, where this weekend it was all omniscience drafts all the time, which was pretty sweet. <laughs> I felt like I had a really big leg up on figuring that out fast because of the Discord. Like, I just got to look at a bunch of like 7X decks and be like, oh, these are the cards that are showing up all the time and people even posting like mid-draft picks and people discussing what they would take and why that really helped like unlock the format for me very quickly. So you too can have access to that sort of conversation. It's really, it's active, feels like 24 seven, you know, it's active all during the day for me, Eastern time. And then I wake up after uh, a night of sleep and I see a lot more messages. So it's just active 24 hours around the clock. Um, So thank you to everyone who's super active there. And thank you to our new folks who decided to join this week. We want to give you a shout out here on the show. So we want to welcome Nathan, Timothy, Khan, Guillaume, Benjamin, Corey, Stephen, Walter, Noah, and Xander. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I will say in regard to the Discord, specifically with Omniscience Drafts, there was some good discussion about Damping Sphere on there. Yeah. Where did you end up on that? I never ran it. Damping Sphere is an artifact that makes each spell cost one more to cast for each spell that player has cast already that turn. So with Omniscience Drafts, when you only have Wooberg tied to your mana pool, like it sort of stifles you from like going off. Because a lot of times when you are going off, you're, you're casting like 10, 15, 20 spells in, in a turn. And that's the turn you're going to win. And so if you're stifled by Damping Sphere, it can really shut you down. But 
I, it also shuts you down. So you have to like deploy it at the right time. And I feel like if I'm storming off or dumping my hand and then deploying it, then shouldn't I have one already? I, I don't know. I wasn't convinced by it. But a lot of people whose opinion I trust and value and we're doing well in the format said it was a good card. So I, I have to I have to go with that, right? Yeah, I have not run it yet, but I think I would be in for running it. I think where I'm at on it is that I would rather have counter spell or what's the counter target non-creature spell, untap three lands. Like I think that card's- Unwind. Yeah, unwind. I think unwind is better than it. I felt the best when I would combo off and then had a counter spell or two in my hand to, to prevent my opponent from comboing off. Damping Spear sort of fills that same role. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I, it's you really don't have many options, right? Because you're only drafting 42 cards. You got to run 40 of them. So, you know, if you it ends up in your pile, it's probably going to make your deck. But I just often didn't find myself taking it. Right. I wasn't going out of my way to pick it up. Yeah. All right. So do you have a roundtable for us to take a look at this week? I do. You ready to go? I would love to. All right. Pack one, pick one. You sit down and you see the following cards as options. Your guild gate in the pack is Simic Guildgate. There's a blade juggler, four and a black for the three, two with spectacle cost of two and a black. When it ETBs, it deals the damage to you and you draw a card. There's a Sphinx of New Prov, the CCDD Azorius card, four, three flying vigilance, spells your opponent cast that target it, cost two more to cast. There's an incubation incongruity, the Simic split card, but I think that's probably worse than those other two as a first pick. Yeah. And then there's also Gatebreaker Ram, two and a green for a two, two, gets plus one, plus one for each gate you control. And if you've got two or more gates, it gets Vigilance and Trample, and your rare, which is not in consideration unless you're in the mood to goof off, is Mirror March. Or if you're looking to unlock one of those sweet, sweet treasure hunt achievements. Also true. <laughs> um, I think I would put this at Gatebreaker Ram number one, Blade Juggler number two, Sphinx number three. I would agree with that order completely. And I think Sphinx a better card than Blade Juggler, although maybe that's not even true. I don't true. think that's true. And then Blade Juggler monocolor definitely being the tiebreaker if it's even close. Yeah. Where are you at in terms of the CCDD power rankings? I think Sphinx of New Prov is probably the worst. I, th I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That is also where I ended up with my rankings and I took Gatebreaker Ram and put it in my pile. Sweet. Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. There's a Gruul Guildgate as your Guildgate in the pack. There's a Rebel Belt Runner, one red green for a 3-3, can't be blocked by creature tokens. There's an Azorius Night Arbiter, three white blue for a 2-5 Vigi and can't be blocked. A Rester's Admonition, two and a blue for the instant, return target creature to its owner's hand. If you cast it during your main phase, you draw a card. Drill Bit, two and a black for the sorcery. Target player reveals their hand, choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card, has a spectacle cost of a single black. And a dagger caster, three and a red for a two, three, when an ETBs deals one damage to each opponent and each creature they control. So interesting, like thinking about back to the start of the format. I think maybe like I would have thought that dagger caster would have been the clear pick out of this. You you kind of pegged this, I feel like, about, you know, X1s aren't super prevalent. This doesn't often make my main deck, even if I'm in a, a red deck. I guess if I have Blade Brand, sure, I might mize on that, but that's not even something I'm super excited about. Where are you at on Daggercaster these days? Yeah, I think I'm main decking a copy in Rakdos, probably not in Gruul, and specifically more likely to main deck it if I have a copy of Blade Brand. But right. I, I feel medium about it. Like, I think it's a C, C+. Yeah, I think I'm on, on C for it. But I, generally, I'm just like, I think of it like a sideboard B or whatever, like something that I'm looking to bring in, but not looking to start. Uh, yeah, this is quite a sad second pack to see right all the cards here feel weaker than the first three that we talked about in the last pack um i think this comes down to arrestor's admonition versus gruel guildgate for me and this is just a little early for me to take gruel guildgate I, I like arrestor's admonition a lot and it's like very reasonable to go in a deck with gatebreaker ram very reasonable to end up azorius and play it like i just think that that is more in line with my preferences for drafting 
Right. And this draft is about like, I haven't drafted on MTGO much. So this draft is probably about a week and a half, two weeks old for me. Okay. And I think looking at it now, I'm on Arrestor's Admonition too, but I've come up on Arrestor's Admonition a lot. I think the last two weeks after seeing how I the Pantheon took it and just playing with it a little bit more on Arena and things like that. So I actually think I'd be on Arrestor's Admonition here as well. But at the time, I grabbed Rule Guild Gate to go along with my Gatebreaker Ram. Yeah, that seems totally defensible too. Right. I think it's close, but I think I would be on Arrestor's Admonition now as well. So, But we've got so far Gatebreaker Ram and Gruel Guild Gate in the pile. Moving on to pack one, pick three, see the following cards as options. There's another Gruel Guild Gate. There's another Arrestor's Admonition. And getting into the uncommons, Rakdos Firewheeler, the CCDD Rakdos card, 4-3, when an ETBs deals two damage to target opponent and two damage to a creature they control. And another dagger caster here. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting if you had taken Arrestor's Admonition, how tempted you'd be to take the second one here. But Rakdos Firewheeler is so strong. So someone took a rare over it, but someone took a common over it, which isn't crazy by any stretch, but like it could also be a signal. I mean, pick three is a little early for a signal, but Rakdos Firewheeler is one of the best things the Rakdos decks can do. And I'd be pretty happy to grab that here. Right. So worth noting, there's a rare and a common missing. So all three uncommon still here. And so if you had taken, I think the thing I'm most interested in, I think it's interesting if you had taken Arrestor's Admonition. So if you've gone Gatebreaker Ram Arrestor's Admonition, do you take Admonition number two here or do you take Firewheeler? I think I still take Firewheeler. Like, how many admonitions do you want? I mean, it depends what your flavor of an Azorius deck is, but even in like an Acuity deck, I don't think I want more than two admonitions. Well, but but Gatebreaker Ram also slots right into Simic, and Arrestor's Admonition is so good in Simic. I think if I had taken right. the first one, I would take the second one here. That's interesting. But like, so I guess in Simic, yeah, you'll play you'll play three in a Simic deck. Maybe you'll play even more than that, but you also have access to Applied Biomancy, which isn't as good, but is in some situations better. So like, I think, you know, you'll end up with enough of those effects often enough, I think, if that color pair is what you're supposed to be doing. Right, right. Yeah, I just think Firewheeler just again, like, I'm looking for that high ceiling in these early picks. I want like the card that has the highest upside and Firewheeler has the highest upside here. That's fair enough. Uh, That is what I grabbed, especially after taking Gruel Guildgate. I thought maybe I could splash my Gatebreaker Ram in some sort of base Rakdos Chun deck or who knows, maybe I was just going to draft straight Rakdos and I'd abandon my first two picks. But I did take the Rakdos Firewheeler here. Moving on to pack one, pick four. Not a very exciting pack. See the following cards as options. There's Rakdos Roustabout to follow up your Rakdos Firewheeler. One black red for the 3-2. When it becomes blocked, it deals a damage to the player it's attacking. Gateway Plaza, the land guild gate that enters the battlefield tapped. And when it ETBs, you have to pay one or sacrifice it. Have you sacrificed any Gateway Plazas yet? I have not. I, I always have a panic when I see it in my opening hand. I'm like, don't play it first. Don't play it first. I've done it once. You have? It was on like turn 15 and it was totally irrelevant, but I've done it once. All right. And it taps to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. There's also an Azorius Guildgate chilling out and two uncommons left in the pack, a Rally to Battle, not really in consideration, and Zyrtog Goblin, red green for the 2-2 with Riot. So especially after taking Ram and Gruel Guildgate, this is an easy Zyrtog Goblin. It's the best card in the pack. It's one of the best things that the Gruel deck can do on turn two, so I'm totally fine to take it, even though I really don't want to draft Gruul because I feel like I'm totally bad at playing that deck. But the other thing I want to highlight here is I feel like this is a reason why I like taking the Firewheeler, you know? Like, if you go Arrestor's Admonition, Arrestor's Admonition, I mean, I guess you just take Azorius Guildgate, but that feels worse than taking the Zyrtog Goblin. Like, I just sort of like 
spreading out my options a little bit when nothing is super apparent in terms of a lane I'm supposed to be in. Yeah, that's fair. That is also what I grabbed here. I took the, the Zyrtar Goblin. So now in my pile, I've got Gatebreaker Ram, Gruul Guildgate, Firewheeler, and Zyrtar Goblin. Moving on to pack one, pick five. Kind of a weak pack here following cards as options. A Skitter Eel, three and a blue for the three, three with two and a blue for the adapt two cost. Open the gates, single green to search your library for basic land or a gate card and put it in your hand. Gift of Strength, one and a green, plus three, plus three and reach until end of turn combat trick. And there's a Sphinx of the Guild pack chilling out. Seven mana for the five, five flyer. Hexproof from Monocolored, but not not a very enticing pack here. I think you're a lot more excited if you've got an Arrestor's Admonition in your pile. This draft is on hard mode right now. I did not look at this draft before we started recording. Uh, this is a real tough one. I think also of note that there's no gate here, and it's pick five. Yep, I was a little nervous about that. Yeah, so so I'm kind of at a, a loss here. I mean, I think you know the most powerful card here might be Skitter Eel in a vacuum. I think so. And so, yeah, that can pair well with an admonition if you took it. Where you're at, I think it's between Open the Gates and Rakdos Trumpeter for me, because I think the best card you have, I guess the best card you have right now is Gatebreaker Ram. And the second best card you have is Firewheeler. So Open the Gates is the card that lets you continue to have the access to play your best card. And I think that's probably what you should do at this point. Though it's scary to take the Open the Gates with there being no gate in the pack. I agree. Yeah, that's what I did. I took open the gates. I think Skitter Eel is defensible also. It's a lot yeah. harder with my route through the draft, but Teamer is pretty easy to get into. Uh, maybe you wheel that Gateway Plaza from the pack before. Who knows? And open the gates certainly makes doing Teamer much easier because you only have to pick up a couple guild gates then before you start to have a reasonable splash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So moving on to pack one, pick six. Now you see the following cards as options. Another terrible pack here. No gate in the pack. Best card in the pack is probably like debtors transport maybe i don't even know yeah uh, there's there's debtors transport five and a black for the five three afterlife two there's a rumbling ruin five and a green for the six six with some plus one plus one counter nonsense that's never really relevant and there's cry of the carnarium one black black for the sorcery all creatures get minus two minus two until end of turn not a lot going on here yeah i would have taken a card that you didn't name which is spear spewer like lining up with the logic of like what lets you play your best cards? Well, there's nothing here that like lines up with Gatebreaker Ram. So then I'm defaulting to, you know, I could have taken the Rakdos Trumpeter last turn, which I think is a totally serviceable two drop in the Rakdos decks. I want to play that Firewheeler if I can't play the Ram. And I think Spear Spewer is a really good card in Rakdos decks. Uh, I'm not there on it. I'm hoping to not run Spear Spewer, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I really like it as a spectacle enabler. Yeah, but you don't you don't need to pick it this early, right? Maybe you don't need to pick it this early, but... I don't think Cry of the Carnarium is a good magic card in this format, even out of the sideboard. I agree. Looking at this entire pack, there's nothing I'm excited to play. Yeah. So yeah, uh, certainly not not a crucial pick there, I don't think. And then moving on to pack one, pick seven, this is where it gets a little interesting. Now you see a much better pack. There's an Open the Gates still chilling here. A Sphinx's Insight, two white blue, draw two cards. We're super far away from that. A Gruul Guild Gate, a Get the Point, three black red for the instant, destroy target creature, scry one. A dead rebel still hanging out, three and a black for the sorcery, spectacle cost of one and a black, return up to two card creature cards from your graveyard your hand, and still a carrion imp, three and a black for the two three flyer. Yeah, so this feels like a Rakdos signal to me. You've got four cards that you would all be like fine to happy with playing in that deck. That just seems like a density of cards to me, especially like, yeah, I don't think that Spear Spewer is that much of a signal, but like you had Spear Spewer and this Copa Vampire and a Debtor's Transport in the last pack. There was the Rakdos Trumpeter, which, you know, obviously that's not really a huge signal pick five, but like it does feel like there's like Rakdos, Rakdos, Rakdos each pack. And this feels like a pretty big density of that. So I think I would grab 
get the point or dead revels probably get the point number one here yeah i actually ended up settling on gruel Guildgate because i hadn't really hedged into rakdos at all so far like other than the rakdos firewheeler pick so it's a lot harder for me to get into it at this point with your route through the draft especially if you've taken rakdos trumpeter right pack one pick five it's super uh reasonable to take get the point here and try to move into rakdos um the pack sort of rounded out i grabbed a burning tree vandal i think for either of the decks we sort of were drafting side by side uh pack one pick eight wield a rebel slinger Pick 10, took a drill bit, and then a bunch of filler, got a late debtor's transport. So still no real clear direction and ended up moving into Gruul pretty hard in pack two. Kept my options open for a little bit, but uh, pack two, pick four, Rhythm of the Wild, uh, followed by a Trollbred Guardian, really settled me into a very good Gruul deck that ended up going 3-0. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a, a great result from a, you know, I think a not a fairly rocky start, not by any like fault of your own, just like those packs were tough. Yeah, I did not feel great after pack one. Yeah, I would I would not have either. All right, well, uh, let's dive right into these what's the play scenarios, Ben. Uh, I'm going to throw the first one out here for you. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this first one here, uh, called Setting Up Your Turn, uh, the deck here, so for folks who haven't tuned into this style of episode before, uh, we will have a link uh, to where you download the show that's going to have a bunch of imagery links for you to follow along at home. We'll do our best to describe what's going on. But oftentimes, these boards can be a little complex. It's a lot to keep track of in terms of what's on the board, what's in our hand, what's on our opponent's side of the battlefield, yada, yada, yada. So we'll have the imager links there for you to check out uh, to follow along at home. So this first deck here is a blue-white high alert deck. Uh, You've got a black splash for grotesque demise and consecrate consume. I got a bunch of big butt creatures featuring three fairy duelists, two Senate Couriers, and Azorius Knight Arbiter. Uh, This particular turn, it's turn three. You've drawn Grotesque Demise for the turn, and you have a number of options. So your hand is stocked, uh, but we'll just sort of lay out the board for you. Your opponent uh, just tapped out for an Aramunculus on their turn three. Uh, They're at 20. You've got Azorius Guildgate and a Plains and a Concordia Pegasus in play. Uh, You haven't made a land drop yet for your third turn, so you've got uh, Plains and Orzov Guildgate in your hand, and then you've got Senate Courier, Warrant Warden, Fairy Duelist, Slime Bind, and Grotesque Demise. So you got a lot of different things you can do here. What's the play, Ben? What are you thinking about? Yeah, so I think the first choice you have to make is whether or not you want to play your tapped land or just develop your board. So I, I see several options, like looking right off the bat. Mm-hmm. If you play Planes, you can play Senate Courier, which is like the best card in your hand, I think, right now at this point. And if you play Orzov Guildgate this turn, you have several two drops to hold up at instant speed, notably Slimebind, Fairy Duelist, and Warrant, uh, the, the half of Warrant Warden that puts target attacking or blocking creature on top of its owner's library. Mm-hmm. So you could hold all that stuff up if you play Orzov Guildgate. But your opponent's also not really doing much here to incentivize you holding that up Uh you know, to really get any sort of advantage from casting any of those spells. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, what I'm looking at here is playing planes, playing Senate courier that gives me a block on Aramunculus and sort of decentivizes them from maybe adapting it. And then next turn I can play my tap land and still have access to all three of those instant speed spells held up. And I'm not going to need to use Grotestimize. At least it doesn't look like in the near future. And if for some reason my opponent does adapt Aramunculus, I can still use Grotestimize a little bit later. Yeah, for sure. So I, maybe this is a little fancy play syndrome here, but I sort of like felt like I mapped out what I was going to do here in a a very, I don't know, maybe logical way or like best case scenario way. So my thought process here was, okay, if 
I want to have access to Grotesque Demise next turn, which, you know, I, I may. Aramunculus is a card that I may want to get got, though not necessarily because Senate Courier blanks it. But then I need to play or- Orzhov Guildgate this turn. Also playing the tap land this turn ensures that I have four mana the following turn, and I do have three two drops in my hand at the moment. So again, unlikely that I'll want to deploy both of them the following turn, but gives me that option. So, but my thought process was like, if I'm my opponent, what I'm going to do next turn is attack with Aramunculus into Pegasus Courser because it's like a free attack, right? Like if I make my fourth land drop, I'm going to be able to attack with Aramunculus. And then if I go to block with Concordia Pegasus, then they might go, oh, all right, I'll adapt and pump four mana into this using up my turn to try and kill the Pegasus, right? In which case I could respond by casting Fairy Duelist to blank that attack, right? To give that creature minus two, minus O until end of turn. So then it bounces off the Pegasus. And then the following turn I untap and can grotesque demise it and attack in for two. So now I've essentially like blanked their turn. Like they've tapped out, wasted their turn, not developed their board. And now they have nothing on board. And I have my two flyers in play. I think there's a couple things maybe that you're not considering from the opponent's perspective. I, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm playing Simic, I really try pretty hard to not adapt early in the game. Because if if something happens to that creature, it's such a loss of tempo. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a disaster if your opponent adapts Aramunculus and you kill it or bounce it or whatever. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. So I think if you if I'm your opponent, if you go Orzov Guildgate pass mm-hmm. and I'm your opponent and I make my fourth land drop, I'm I'm not attacking pre-combat or I'm not I'm not attacking into open mana without adapting because of summary judgment from a blue white deck. So I think if I am going to attack, I'm going to adapt pre-combat and swing in. OK, but I would. I would be hoping if I were the opponent to not make that play. Like I'm never happy if my turn four play is adapting my Aramunculus. So I think the most likely scenario from your opponent is, you know, just play a land and play some other dude and probably not attack with Aramunculus. Yeah, I think I would still you wouldn't attack. I get you wouldn't attack with Aramunculus at all. Like you can always adapt in response to them casting summary judgment i don't know why you wouldn't attack with aramunculus there i guess but if you're but if you're if you're not willing if you attack with aramunculus and they block with concordia pegasus Uh and you want to kill concordia pegasus you've got to adapt first but then then they can get you a summary judgment so you're just like ramming a two three into a one three right right i mean i think i guess the the thought there is like you could just attack and then if your opponent blocks with pegasus you're not priced in to do anything you can just say all right pass and then go on to do what you were going to do. Right. But then you're not really a... I don't think you as the Azorius player are accomplishing much by holding up that stuff. Because like, ideally, you're saving Fairy Duelist till later in the game when it can either like make a combat super favorable for you or like get you a one for zero or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess with like... Yeah. I guess with Demise in hand, I'm not like super mad about firing off the duelist end of turn but maybe that's just a little spewy that seems it's the it's so early in the game you're not going to get any advantage from having two smaller flyers on the battlefield than your opponent's aramunculus i don't think without killing your opponent's aramunculus but i don't think there's any reason to try to like your hand's super defensive like you're not winning this game anytime soon which is why i sort of like land senate courier to just lock up okay i've got this aramunculus not dealing me damage Mm-hmm. And we'll see what the opponent does. And then you've got options to do do other stuff down the road. And then if they attack with Aramunculus next turn, are you blocking with Senate Courier? Absolutely. And then just fine if it like they fire off a gift of strength or whatever? I think so. Or maybe if maybe if they attack, maybe you don't block and you try to blow them out with one of your instants then. Yeah. And you slow roll it a little bit. Yeah, that's very interesting. I thought I was like really smart about like setting up the sequence of events. But yeah, I mean, you make a very compelling argument for why... Like if you're the cynic player, you just go, all right, I'm good. I don't need to 
I don't need to mess with this. I'll just develop my board. That's sort of where I'm at from their perspective. Yeah, makes sense to me. All right. That's super deep, though, just at like 2020 with nothing really like magic's so hard. Magic's so hard. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't happen super often where you have like so many different options in terms of what to do on turn two or like I think the guild gate also plays a part in that as well, you know? Right. And I I, I certainly don't think there's anything wrong if you want to get access to Grotestomize up. Mm hmm. I think, but I think if you're playing Guildgate, I think I'd be just fine taking two from the Aramunculus then and playing Senate Courier. I, I don't see any advantage to running out Fairy Duelist here. Yeah. Well, it worked if that matters. Awesome. It all it all happened according to plan. And I nabbed that Aramunculus with the Grotesque the following turn. But yeah, maybe maybe it was, was unnecessary. But I, so my question to you would be then, like, did you really do it? Because Senate Courier just stopped Aramunculus. Like, did you pressure them after that? Like, what advantage did you gain by, like, setting up that sequence of events? I mean, I, I felt like I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember how the rest of the game developed. Um, it felt like a huge advantage at the time to, like, eat their fourth turn. Yeah, but at any point in the game, you have the option to grotesquemize. Like, I, th- I think you, like, forced them to do it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, like, I think that was going to happen over the course of the game, regardless of the route you took through the game, I guess is what I would be saying. Yeah, I guess that's fair. So yeah, you got it to happen on turn four, but I just, I don't see the, like, based on the fact that you don't really have a way to pressure your opponent or punish them for, like, doing that on turn four, Mm -hmm. like, it doesn't seem like that much of a blowout to me. Yeah, that's fair. All right, moving on to the next What's the Play. This is another one of yours, but I'm going to walk you through it so that Ethan can give us his perspective. You're on the same Azorius deck against the same Simic opponent. It's game three, and we've got a bit of a complex board state here, so let me do my best to illustrate this for you. Uh, it's turn 11 on your opponent's turn. It's their attack step. And here's what's going on. You're at 27. Your opponent's at 12. They've got six land drops in play, three islands, three forests, five cards in hand, and several creatures on the battlefield. They have a Chillbringer, a Rampaging Renhorn that has been sky tethered. So it has Defender. They've got a Steeple Creeper that is in the process of attacking you. And they've got a Sylvan Brush Strider that's in the process of attacking you. And they have one untapped green mana. So they just tapped out to play a Chillbringer that locked down your Fairy Duelist on your side of the battlefield. So here's what your side of the battlefield looks like. You've got four lands in play, all tapped, and Orzhov Locket tapped. Your last turn, it looks like you just played Fairy Duelist and Impassioned Order and probably a tapped Guildgate. And so your creatures on the battlefield are a Fairy Duelist that's been locked down by Chillbringer a Senate Guild Mage, a Gateway Sneak, a Resolute Watchdog, an Impassioned Order, and an Untapped Fairy Duelist that you have just flashed in mid-combat to shrink your opponent's Steeple Creeper that's attacking you. And you have two cards in hand. You've got an Island and a Warrant Warden. So opponent definitely up on cards in hand. You've got five cards in hand to your two. Your board is a little bit more built out. You've been steadily activating Senate Guild Mage to get a huge command in the game in terms of life total. Um, so it's pretty hard for your opponent to beat you down from this position. And you're just trying to figure out a way to close out the game. And so what we're trying to decide right now is how to block on the Steeple Creeper. So cards you have that are untapped, that are options as blockers, is Senate Guild Mage, Gateway Sneak, Resolute Watchdog, Impassioned Order, Fairy Duelist. What are you going to block with, Ethan? What's going through your head here? So, you know, we're at 27. It's not like a huge deal in terms of like taking some damage here or not. But we have just flashed in Fairy Duelist. Our opponent attacked with a 4-2 thinking that like they could either probably take out our Gateway Sneak, which has chipped in for a few cards at this point, or they can have us just take four or they're 
going to like have it trade within passion order or something. Which now that I'm thinking about it, I'm looking at this board, and even if they're attacking him with Steeple Creeper, like why are they excited to trade that for Impassioned Order at this point? You know? Yeah, they should not be. I don't think that's the first thing that should be like alarm bells. Like, why is my opponent choosing to attack him with Steeple Creeper as a four-two into my Impassioned Order? So I feel like super excited. I'm like, oh, I get to flash in this Fairy Duelist to shrink the Steeple Creeper, make it a two-two, and now I have these two one-threes in Gateway Sneak and Resolute Watchdog, which I can double block and just eat the Steeple Creeper. Right? Yeah, seems super straightforward forward but your opponent has one green mana available so what can they do for one green mana in this format they could either have titanic brawl targeting their rampaging renhorn because their rampaging renhorn on their side of the battlefield has a plus one plus one counter on it so titanic brawl is in play here as well as stony strength the single green plus one plus one counter and untap a creature at instant speed right so i think they have to have one of those here right like it just doesn't make sense to me and i didn't think about this at the time at the time i'll I'll, I'll jump ahead and say that i just like was super excited about this uh getting this one for zero by flashing in the duelist lining up my two one threes and eating the steeple creeper that i didn't really think about one the fact that like why are they so excited about trading steeple creeper with impassion order and and maybe like there's a defense of like well they're so high up on cards right they have five cards in hand to your two but like, I have a better board than they do. I mean, the Chillbringer certainly changes that because now I can't attack with my fairy duelists anymore. But like, I don't know why if I'm my opponent, I'm excited to trade a 4-2 that can gain flying for a 2-2 that just came into play. So that should be alarm bell number one. And then alarm bell number two is like, even if that's not the case, like, I still think if I don't have Impassioned Order in play, I should be thinking about, okay, if they're okay with trading Steeple Creeper for Gateway Sneak, fine. But if they're not, and they have either Brawl or Stony Strength, I think playing around that accordingly is the appropriate thing to do. Yeah, it just feels kind of free here, right? Because you're at such a high life total. Like, honestly, if you wanted to, you could just totally ignore this attack from your opponent. There's not really a reason to do that because you've got good defense, especially after flashing in this Fairy Duelist. But I think if you go to the trouble of flashing in Fairy Duelist, it's no skin off your back if your opponent has Titanic Brawl or Stony Strength to just add Fairy Duelist onto this pile. Yes, you lose Fairy Duelist, but I think in the grand scheme of things, especially once you've identified that Steeple Creeper attacking into a Passion Order is pretty sketchy here, that it's just like, I think, proper blocking to jam more creatures than you need to in front of Steeple Creeper to make sure that it dies. And I think that there's like this sort of sliding scale of like, can I afford to lose this creature that I wouldn't necessarily need to lose otherwise in order to definitely make sure that this creature 100% dies? And I think you're in a position where the answer to that question is just, Yes. Yes, for sure. So I think, yeah, the answer is to block with Gateway Sneak, Watchdog, and Fairy Duelist. And then like, yeah, so if they don't have anything, Fairy Duelist is going to die unnecessarily. But more likely than not, based on this behavior, they have something here. And now you're going to ensure that Steeple Creeper dies, even if they choose to fire. Like, they now aren't going to fire off the thing. And so then now you have some information later on in the game of like, oh, you have a Stony Strength or a Brawl in your hand. How am I going to play accordingly right and so what did they have uh they did in fact have the stony strength uh so i lined up my sneak and my watchdog feeling all excited they cast stony strength and uh, my gateway wah, sneak died wah. unnecessarily yeah and i was like as soon as it happened i was like well that was dumb like i should have known that and then this is you know now this is the second what's the play scenario and i think this is a really important thing to do which is like you have to put yourself in your opponent's shoes in these situations like you really have to take the time to think like If I were them, why would I do this? And this is a a skill that I learned from poker that I feel like I need to bring into magic a lot more. Like in poker, people are like telling a story with how they bet, right? They're like, 
They tell you a story in the sequences of turns of they see the cards and then they decide to commit an amount of money to the pot based on those cards. And that tells a story of like what their hand could be. And if the story doesn't line up, it often means like something is going wrong here. And the story my opponent is telling here with their attack of Steeple Creeper into a Passion Order is I have something because Steeple Creeper would not want to trade with Impassioned Order otherwise. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think Sasha, ahead dude, is really good at that. Like putting himself in the opponent's shoes. Like during the opponent's turn, he's always thinking about what the opponent's doing and why they're doing. And I think that's the next thing I really need to do if I really seriously want to level up. But I so rarely do that because I'm streaming. So I'm trying to like entertain or read chat or whatever during the opponent's turn. I mean, I'm thinking about it, but not on this deep of a level. And I think if you really want to get to the next level, that's that's a great thing to start doing. I agree completely. All right, that's going to move us into our third What's the Play scenario, which I have appropriately titled, Great Transition, Making a Read Early and Holding On to It. So this deck that we've got here is a uh, teamer deck, blue-green, splash-red. It's got excellent mana. We've got three Aramunculus, three Savage Smash, a Guardian Project, a Shark to Crab. It's really like the works. It's a a really sweet-looking teamer deck. It's game two against a Simic Gates opponent. All you saw in the first game was Gatebreaker Ram. So no no real information there. Your opponent got kind of steamrolled. Game two, you revealed Sphinx of Foresight at the beginning of the game, which is relevant because your opponent chose to cast Essence Capture on your Rubble Slinger on turn three rather than cast it on your Sphinx, right? So like they know you have this in hand. They know you're going to play it. And they chose to counter my Rubble Slinger on turn three. And then Sphinx resolves on turn four. So this makes me think they have another way to deal with the Sphinx. So I play the Sphinx on turn four. And my opponent, who had previously cast a gateway sneak, chooses to attack into my Sphinx with their three open mana, Simic Guildgate, and two islands. Ooh. So what goes through your head when you see something like this, Ben? Well, first of all, like I think you have to decide... One of two things is happening. Either you're getting savagely bluffed, and your opponent's thinking they're never going to block with Sphinx of Foresight because it's too good of a card, or... Your opponent has a combat trick. I think the one that comes to mind for me is Gift of Strength. So like plus three plus three is great here for your opponent, right? You block, they Gift of Strength. They have a four six, they eat your Sphinx. And then Gateway Sneak is potentially free to rampage and draw them cards in future turns, presumably. Gateway Sneak is such an interesting card for this particular scenario. Because like if it was a card that had value, like Gateway Sneak does, but didn't have such a significant upside if it dealt you damage, like you're at 20 right now. Taking one doesn't matter. Right. What matters is them drawing a card, right? And so even if this were like a 3-3 or whatever, that they were attacking to my 4-4, I would be like, yeah, whatever, I'll take three. It doesn't matter. But this is like, I don't feel like a Savage Bluff here makes a ton of sense. I mean, it makes some sense because Sphinx is markedly better than Gateway Sneak, but Gateway Sneak has value in this game. You know, they've shown me Gatebreaker Ram in game one. I imagine they have a number of gates in their deck. So like Gateway Sneak can provide them an amount of card advantage maybe even greater to the like card filtering that I'm going to get with the Sphinx scry every turn. So like this attack like could be a bluff, but it also really feels like it's not. I would agree with that read, I think. Yeah. So I read them for gift of strength here and chose to not block. Um, It's relevant to also say that I have a savage smash in hand and I have the ability to cast it. So I can next turn kill the gateway sneak so that I'm not presented with this like problem every turn the rest of the game, you know, like that, they're going to get the value here. They're going to get to draw a card here, which I'm not thrilled about, but I have a way to deal with the sneak 
immediately. Even if they have Gift of Strength, right? So you Savage Mash, they Gift of Strength, and you're still killing. Right. Though, you know, if they pass with four mana up with blue, I'm probably not casting Savage Smash into open mana. Like, right. But yes, agreed, right? I have I have the way to like play through that if that happens to be the card that they that they have. Um, so yeah, so the the read that I went with was that they have Gift of Strength, or they're a, a brilliant bluffer, but I'm, I went with the, the Gift of Strength. Well, you also have in the show notes that they could have Fairy Duelist, right? So that, that maybe this is a, a free bluff attack for them, because if they've got Fairy Duelist in hand, no harm, no foul, if you decide to call their bluff, they can Fairy Duelist and save their gateway sneak. Correct. Yes, exactly. Yes, I, I forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. So that that's another card that I put them on. So, so I decided to then move on from this point of like, they either have Gift of Strength or fairy duelist let's just keep that in mind that makes the most sense to me based on their actions yeah, i don't think i'd have put them on fairy duelist gift of strength i think was the only one i would have thought of in the moment yeah i think if i'm the opponent i have fairy duelist that makes sense to me i'm like well this is a this is kind of free if i have nothing else to do this feels like a good free attack like either they call my bluff and then i get to save my creature or i get no yeah i agree totally i just don't think i'd have seen that at the time so cut to a few turns ahead your plan of Savage Smashing the Gateway Sneak worked. That's in the graveyard. Your opponent now has an Axbane Beast in play, as well as a Mesmerizing Benthid and the two Illusion Tokens along with it. And your board is Sphinx of Foresight and Chillbringer. Uh, in hand, you've got a Gruel Guildgate, an Aramunculus, and a Mammoth Spider. And your opponent has five mana untapped and is at 10 life. So you've got Sphinx of Foresight and Chillbringer, and you're facing down a bunch of ground creatures, right? The two Illusion Tokens and the Benthid. But you've got five mana, blue, blue, green, green, and a Simic Guildgate on your opponent's side of the battlefield. And you're moving into your attack step. Yeah. What do you do? Uh, This is a a super interesting spot, I think. So if they have Fairy Duelist, not a big deal, right? But if they have if they have Gift of Strength, it's a huge deal because they could either Gift of Strength the Benthid and eat your Sphinx of Foresight or your Chillbringer if you decide to attack with both which is a gigantic blowout. Mm-hmm. They're on a two-turn clock regardless of whether you attack with one or both creatures. So I think if you suspect that they're holding up Gift of Strength here, mm-hmm. you could do a couple things. You could just not attack, period. But I think then like they're probably cracking back into you. But then you're going to have more flyers. You're going to have Mammoth Spider down the block. So I think if you were playing conservatively and you wanted to hold, like strand their mana, because there's a cost to holding up Gift of Strength every turn, right? They have to hold up two mana every turn. So you could just play Guildgate, play Mammoth Spider and pass. Or if you want to try to get it out of their hand and clear the way forward for Sphinx of Foresight to get them in the air, I think you could dip your toe in the water and swing with Chillbringer. Myself, I'd almost be tempted to play Mammoth Spider, play Guildgate and pass here. And maybe try to make them use it on blocks because they don't have good attacks if you don't attack here at all. Like if they're going to attack you with Benthid or Axbane Beast, you just line up Mammoth Spider in front of it and then they're forced to use the Gift of Strength on Mammoth Spider, right? So my problem with that is twofold. One is that like, and again, I'm going to go back to like my my history with poker is that like there is a... a range of things they could have right when they attack with gateway sneak i think it's most likely that they have gift of strength and then some percentage of the time less than that they have fairy duelist and then some percentage of the time less than that they're a madman and they're bluff attacking right but all of those are non-zero percents so when you i think when you choose to not attack here and decide that they have gift of strength then you're like putting a card in their hand for those times when they have fairy duelist or have nothing Right. And that feels bad to me. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So I think that's a that's a reason then to attack with Chillbringer, because if they've got it, then they just get your Chillbringer and they don't get your Sphinx of Foresight. And if they don't have it, great. 
you still have lethal next turn with two flyers. So either they're forced to present a flyer or some way to deal with one of your flyers. Right. That's what feels the best about attacking only with Chillbringer is that it doesn't change your lethal clock. Like they're at 10. So if they have nothing in the scenario where they have nothing, you attack with Chillbringer, you get them to seven. And then in theory, if they still don't have any flying defense the following turn, you have exactly seven in the air to kill them. Or maybe even more if you choose to play Aramunculus this turn. But I think you probably would choose to play Mammoth Spider because it's a much better blocker for the the four five and the three four that they have ben i got to be a genius here i attacked with only chillbringer and they did fire off gift of strength to eat the chillbringer and i got to like hold on to that read that i had early and it paid off boom that is super sick that you put them on that early and then played around it what four turns later five turns later yeah that felt that felt pretty good yeah that is some sick magic play right there what can i say man i'm a lord of limited you are a lord of limited that's awesome Very well played. Thank you. Thank you. Moving on to what's the play number four. You are on a Rakdos deck that is pretty tight, pretty low to the ground. You've got double Footlight Fiend, a Storm Strike in your one drop slot, triple Plague White, a Rakdos Trumpeter, and a Feral Maka as your two drop creatures. You got some really good threes, a Burning Tree Vandal, double Clamor Shaman, Hacrobat, Blood Mist Infiltrator, some Burn and Skewer the Critics, Removal and Grotestomize. An ill-gotten inheritance, double dagger caster, and a single blade brand to go along with those two dagger casters. An ill-gotten inheritance, a blade juggler, and a get the point. And a dead rebel's thrown in there too. 16 lands, like a pretty tight little aggressive Rakdos deck. Not the best one I've ever seen, but can certainly win some games. You're in a close race with the opponent. It's your turn, turn 11. This is game one. Uh, The board looks like as follows. You have three swamps, three mountains in play. You are at three life, bunch of cards in your graveyard. You have Spear Spewer on your side of the battlefield, Rakdos Trumpeter, and Plague White as your three creatures in play. No cards in hand except for the Clamor Shaman that you just drew this turn. You are at three life. The opponent is at six life. Opponent also has a bundle of cards in their graveyard. They have seven lands on the battlefield, four swamps, two plains, and Orzhov Guildgate. They have two cards in hand, one of which is an island, guaranteed. It got revealed when you cast Drillbit earlier in the game. And so you you still know for some reason they haven't been playing it out, even though you know about it. And there's a second card they've been holding in their hand for multiple turns, like three turns or so. They've had two cards in their hand and have not done anything with this second mystery card that we don't know what it is. So they've got those seven lands and their creatures on the battlefield are a vindictive vampire, which is pretty scary considering that we're at three life. That's whenever a creature dies uh, that your opponent controls, it drains one. So they gain a life, you lose a life. They've got an Imperious Oligarch that they just cast this turn uh, on on their turn. And so it's 2-1 Vigilance Afterlife 1. And they've got a Spirit Token lying around from earlier in the game that is slowly attacking you for one because you don't have any flying blockers. So the Spirit Token is tapped, Imperious Oligarch untapped, Vindictive Vampire untapped. And then, like I said, your side of the battlefield, Plague White, Rakdos Trumpeter, Spear Spewer, and you just drew a Clamor Shaman for the turn. Pretty significantly behind, but I think you're trying to figure out, first of all, if you have outs, and if you do, what they are, and how you can try to play to them. So the first question is, what are our good draws or outs left in the deck, and how can we play them? So I think, just to answer that, to sort of save you some time, the the relevant cards that are in your deck are a second Clamor Shaman would get you to lethal in some fashion. Grotestomize, potentially removing a blocker is a way to sneak through lethal and skewer the critics. Like those are the three best draws in your deck. And then so the main thing you're trying to decide right now is do we have any attacks to try to push damage? And are we like there's so many options just on this board, it's mind boggling. So do you attack? If so, with what? And Clamor Shaman can also be hasted to remove a blocker. Do you haste it? Do you play it with Riot? And then are you spear spewering or uh, like you know, are you going to be at too low, low of a life total to even activate Spear Spear? So there's a ton of decisions you have to make this turn about trying to play two outs 
next turn, not knowing necessarily what your opponent is going to do on their turn. And I think you're far enough behind that if that second card is something relevant, you just have to pretend like your opponent has nothing. I, I think you have to assume that your opponent is on island plus another either very niche card or just another land. 100% agree. Yeah, I think the the play here is to imagine that you have all the information, which is that your opponent has nothing and you're just seeing what's on their board because otherwise you're probably just dead anyway. So let, let's try to answer the first question. Do you have any attacks? Which is tough because if any of your opponent's creatures die, you're going to get drained potentially for one or more. And then like, you know, if, they, if, if Oligarch dies, you lose because you get drained for one, right? And then they have two flyers in the air to kill you. Right. So it's not when any of their creatures dies, because if Vindictive Vampire dies, that doesn't matter. It's Vindictive Vampire only cares about other creatures that your opponent controls. Right. So that takes out attacking with Plague White, right? Because they would just block with Oligarch and then you lose. So that's out. You could attack with Trumpeter, which has Menace, right? And has the three and a red pump ability. So you could attack. They either don't block and then you can then decide. Then we can decide of like, well, do you pump or not? Or we have a scenario where you attack and they double block and then you can pump to kill the Vindictive Vampire, which then leads you to a scenario of, all right, well, then what do I do after that? Because you can't cast Clamor Shaman because you've used your mana for the turn. And so then you're you're trying to like block. You probably I don't know what you do then. You block Oligarch with Spear Spewer and Ping maybe. Right. I think that's coming in the near future. You have a free block for a turn on Oligarch to not kill it. And then you have the choice of whether or not to activate Spear Spear. Right. And then that potentially opens up like if they have nothing, then their only creature left is Imperious Oligarch, assuming they whiff again on their draw step. Then you can haste in Clamor Shaman and maybe play something else that's relevant, like a Skewer of the Critics or whatever, to kill them. Right. So then the question about do you attack with Trumpeter or not, then to answer that, you go, well, do I have... What are my other options? Your options are to not attack with Trumpeter. And what does that leave you with? That leaves you with a 1-3 back, which doesn't actually gain you anything. Because, again, you don't want to kill the Oligarch, probably, as long as Vindictive Vampire is in play. Actually, maybe you do. Would you be okay blocking the Oligarch with Trumpeter? Not with Vindictive Vampire in play, I don't think. Well, then you lose one. You they, It drains you. Oh, God, it drains you. Yeah. You gain a life. That's yeah, so bad. That's so bad. Yeah, you. I think you really want to try and get the vindictive vampire dead here i don't see what casting clamor shaman with haste does for you like you make oligarch not be able to block but then they just eat what the clamor shaman and you get in for three and then you're dead next turn so like yeah yeah i think you just attack with trumpeter first probably hope that they block and i think even if they don't block you're supposed to pump right well so that's the interesting thing like there's there's so many things going on in this board so i i think not so and but let's walk through what you think for maybe two pumps. So my my play was I, I decided that I really wanted to try to get Vindictive Vampire off if I could. And the only way to do that if they don't attack with it is to try to get them to block. So I attacked with Rakdos Trumpeter and I had decided if they double blocked, I was fine pumping and trading with Vindictive Vampire and just holding on to Clamor Shaman because then I'm in a lot less danger of dying soon, like right now, because the spirit token is a three turn clock. So I ended up attacking and they they didn't block so I and I had decided in that scenario, I wasn't going to activate and I was going to play Clamor Shaman with a plus one plus one counter for the following reason. So then they're at five. And then if I my creatures, you know, depending on how they attack, my power is super relevant. And I have the option to Spear Spewer, assuming I don't kill any of their creatures, I have the option to Spear Spewer once to put them to four. And then if I draw any of Grotestimize, Skewer the Critics or my second Clamor Shaman, I should be able to get a win if they really don't have anything in hand. 
So that was that was my line. So what is your what is your thinking on maybe activating the trumpeter if they don't block? If you activate the trumpeter, you put them to three. Mm-hmm. Then you pass. And then if I'm the opponent, I attack with everything. I put Plague White on Vampire, Spear Spewer on Oligarch. Uh, then you do have a ping if you want it. But then that they're going to leave themselves dead to Rakdos Trumpeter. So they're not going to make that attack, right? So then they only attack with Spirit? That's great. Or they or they attack with spirit and oligarch, and then you block spear on oligarch, and then you can yeah, then you can ping again. Like the the thing that I like about pumping trumpeter is then then I feel like a you have an, a land as an out as well because then you can go land clamor shaman haste and you have ability to pump trumpeter and they're at two. Yeah, yeah. And now and now you can use clamor shaman to like make a creature not block, and so even if they play another thing. Like they're either double blocking Trumpeter or they're blocking your other two creatures and they're dead either way. Yeah, maybe that's even better. So here's what ended up happening. So I made my attack with the Rakdos Trumpeter. They didn't block. I didn't activate. I put them to five. Mm -hmm. Their turn, they cracked me back with everything. So I blocked with Spear Spewer on the Oligarch, Plague White on the Vampire, like we said. Mm -hmm. And they ended up having Blade Brand. I don't know if they drew it that turn or if it was the card that had been sitting in their hand for a while. So after combat, like I, I double chumped and I activated Spear Spear to put them to four so that those cards were alive as outs. They uh-huh. cycled a Blade Brand post combat and then played just a random 3 1 Blood Mist Infiltrator, I think. And on my turn, I whiffed and drew a land and wasn't able to get through lethal. But if I had drawn any of those other cards, they would have been lethal. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if your line would have been any better. Yeah, because they wouldn't have been able to swing out with your line. I think your line's better. Because it, it prevents them from being able to swing out for fear of dying to, to Trumpeter, Trumpeter on the crackback. Yeah. No, it no, it doesn't even, because they have the Oligarch back to block still. But that doesn't matter. Because then we still have Clamor Shaman in hand, right? To remove one of the blockers. So you'd have to, so a land, so the land that we would have drawn with your line would have put the opponent dead if they had swung out. If they Because you can out. play, you can haste, you can haste Clamor Shaman and activate, right? I, I do like your line better, I think. Wait, but no, it, but no, I, I think I'm still wrong. I think I'm, I'm... Because we have to block, we lose, when we untap the next turn, we have Clamor Shaman and Rakdos Trumpeter in play, and that's it, uh-huh. right? Yes. They're at two, but they have two creatures, right? They have the Oligarch and the Blood Mist. Yeah. So we still lose. Not if you draw a land, because you can haste the Clamor Shaman, make one of them unable to block, and then oh, Rakdos right, Trumpeter right, right, gets right, in right, for right. lethal. I'm yes, I'm forgetting Clamor right. Shaman so, is relevant So text. what your line does that my line doesn't, if they decide to attack all, it makes land lethal for you also, because then you get a double spell, because that was the whole the whole rub. Right. There's just you were choked when you were one mana short, and that gives you another turn to draw that man. I think that's actually a better line. But there was so much going on here. Like, yeah, because it's such a tight race and vindictive vampire, and there's an unknown in the opponent's hand and what they're going to draw and how they're going to attack or not attack. It was a super interesting spot. You know, a vindictive vampire is a card that I was really excited about, you know, because it reminded me of like Blood Artist and Zulaport Cutthroat. And then it like wasn't as exciting. Like, there wasn't really that like Mardu sacrifice deck that I was hoping. But it still is a real problem to deal with a lot of the time on my opponent's side of the battlefield. Yeah, it feels similar to ill-gotten inheritance in some senses. Like it just kind of feels like a worse ill-gotten inheritance to me. Like it's it's really bad against Gruel. And like <laughs> pretty good in like the Esper Dirtly Mirrors. Like it's I think it's good in the same sort of matchups that ill-gotten inheritance is good in. And it's I mean it's good against Rakdos, obviously. I just I think Rakdos just in general has a really bad matchup against Orzov decks. Right. But I, yeah, I, I think I like Ill-Gotten Inheritance as a card better than Vindictive Vampire. Yeah, I do for sure. 
Oh, okay. But you just seemed like you were talking talking vindictive vampire up a little bit. Well, I feel like I always see it in drafts, and I'm like, I just can't bring myself to take it. And then when I see it in play, uh, more often than not, I'm like, this card is annoying, is, is how I feel about it. Yeah, it just depends on the matchup, I think. Some it shines, and some it's not very good at all. Right, for sure. Oof. These are tough. I, I know these are hard to like follow along for sure at home, um, but I think it's really important to at least for one episode, you know, there's a lot of focus on pick orders and drafting. And, you know, it's very easy to talk about those like to just sort of like put cards in the arena, if you will, in terms of like what you would take over the other. But, you know, these the, the play skill is really the thing that I think I at least for me that I have the biggest room for improvement. I would agree with that also 100 percent. And I think talking through just finding these what's the plays and talking through them helps a ton. And I think, you know, if it's if it's hard to follow along, you should just go back and look at the imager links and try to put yourself in the scenario like and I think if you've certainly if you've got the the screenshot in front of you while you're listening to the podcast, it it should definitely be doable, I think. All right, I think that's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Come check us out. Ben, hopefully, maybe getting over his sickness from the week. We'll be back on the main streets of Twitch. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. one pick one you sit down and see the following cards as (coughs) (coughs) and that's it hang on and he uh he didn't make it after that we almost we almost got a round table waiting on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30 percent in 2023 if you're in a bind this tax season lifelock can help Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.